Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. It is February 25th. Spring training has started and we have news and notes pouring in. Today, we are going to be going over my 2024 breakout pitchers. But first, Richie is joining me as always. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Matt. How's it going? I'm excited spring training is underway. See your boy James Wood hitting some homers, but I think I'm more excited that I found out you're coming to visit uh, Wisconsin this year, which I didn't think was happening. So I think that's the best news I've heard all day. So I'm oh. excited for us to uh, go catch a game together with Baby K and yeah, have a good time. Yeah, we we want to get home before the like the summer months really kick in, and you know, babies do at the end of July. So I kind of thought this would be a good period for us to get away and you know really enjoy that last period before, as you know, the baby comes and life changes. Um, and we're not we're not drinkers in general now, you know, especially now that my wife is pregnant, but it'll also be nice to just really come home and spend time with family and friends and have it be more defined as like this chapter in our lives. Because I feel like, you know, you've experienced this, but you know, it's easy when friends come to home or or visit to just make an effort of like, Oh, we're going to go to the bar. And it's like, no, we're adults now. Like we have to spend time with each other in adult fashions. And even when we see you, you have the baby. So this will be my first time, you know, officially meeting her in person. So is it? I'm sure she'll oh, be wow, scarred is, yeah. and terrified. Nah, she's FaceTimed you enough to know who you are. She's going to be like, why is his hair normal? I always see him when he wakes <laughs> yeah, up. He's, he's not grumpy. Um, my right. only request <laughs> well, is we that. go to a day game on a Wednesday, Thursday, or a Sunday because I don't think Kenna will be able to stay through a night game. She'll be sleeping yeah, by the I like, first inning. I like the idea of a day game anyways. Yeah, then you can get day drunk and be passed out. <laughs> yeah, no day drinking. Um, okay, so let's break into it. You know, we have some great news and notes. And I think the biggest one to start us off is Cody Bellinger finally signing. And it comes at a bit of a rental, in my opinion. It's a three-year, $80 million deal. $30 million paid out in 2024. $30 million paid out in 2025. 20 in 2026. But Cody has opt-outs in each of the first two seasons, essentially making this a three-year, one-year deal, if that makes sense, right? He has the opportunity, if he performs and replicates his 2023 numbers, to opt out after this 2024 season, and I think surely he will. And again, he has had success in Chicago, so you know I think we can look forward to him this season. I'm projecting him to have a good season. I don't know that he will have as great of a season as he did last year, but what are your thoughts on the signing, Bellinger's fantasy value now, and then ultimately forecasting, you know, the future. Do you think he opts out after 2024? I love this deal for both sides. You get the best of both worlds. Bellinger was looking for 10 years, 300 million, I believe, or was it 330? Either way, he was looking for about 30 million a year. This gives him the opportunity to get at least three years if he doesn't produce what he was expected to do. Um, so I, I do like it. I don't think he's going to have as great of a season as he did last year. I think the home runs come down a little bit, but I do think he has the batting average and the plate discipline to be a contributor. And as a center fielder, I think center fielder, or no, they might have Pete Armstrong over there, but either way, he'll be in the outfield. I think it's a great move for both sides. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting piece that you bring up is, you know, Bellinger being a plus defender in center field, Crow Armstrong as well. You, know, you bring Bellinger back, I would just have to imagine that he is the opening day center fielder. Armstrong is going to have to hit his way into this lineup, and that is obviously the tool that we are most concerned about with, with Pete Armstrong. 
And maybe if Armstrong can hit his way into an opening day uh, roster spot, even an opening day starter spot, it gives the Cubs more fluidity with moving Bellinger to right, moving him to left, having more of that versatile lineup. But I just think the 2024 season is going to see Bellinger in center and Armstrong, you know, in between AAA and the big league roster. And, you know, we will look forward to 2025, you know, full-time job for him. But I imagine Bellinger signs or not signs, but, you know, plays obviously all the way through 2024 and opts out. I think, I think he hits the open market again, and, and that will give Armstrong the opportunity to be the Cubs new center fielder, but we will have to see how spring plays out. All right, moving on. We have another name, not as exciting as Cody Bellinger, but Tim Anderson signs with the Marlins on a one-year $5 million deal. I love this. I think Anderson struggled with the shoulder injury. And I've said it before, I think Marcelo Meyer, very similar injuries. I mean, we saw the downturn in Marcelo Meyer's um, prospect pedigree and production last year. I'm expecting Anderson to have a, a nice 2024, you know, probably 280, maybe get back to 15 home runs. I think it's a great signing for Miami, and I think it's a great signing for Anderson. The only downside is it's not a great lineup. What do you think of Anderson in Miami? Yeah, I would have preferred him going to the Rays, but the Rays ended up going with Ahmed Rosario, who's our next signing on the news and notes. And I think Tim Anderson waited to sign with the Marlins because he was waiting to see if the Rays would be interested. I don't know if that's what was happening behind the scenes, but hey, I'll take him as a Miami Marlin. I don't think he can hit 15 homers. I think if he hits five to 10, you'll be happy. Anything is better than the one home run he hit last year. So I do think the average can come. I don't know. I wouldn't expect a lot of stolen bases out of him just because of his previous injuries and he's getting up there in age. So yeah, I'm interested. I'll take a flyer on him deep, um, especially for you and dynasty leagues. I know he's your starting shortstop in some leagues. So I know this is uh, a welcomed signing for you in all your dynasty leagues. Yeah, I ha- I know he's starting in one of my leagues for sure, a 30-man. Uh, I let him go with a three-year contract and 18 average value per year and a salary 30-man as well because $18 million was just outrageous. But honestly, I-, I know I'm a little biased because I have no choice to hope for a-, a bounce back in my one league and holding shares of him, but... I just have this feeling that his value is so low. If he, if it was just due to the injury and the, the lack of production was tied to that, you could be getting an immense value here late in drafts, you know, having him on your bench and, you know, injuries happen, sliding him into that shortstop. Obviously, middle infield is is great as well if that's a slot within your league, but he doesn't really fit that utility role at all, you know. It is more of a depth um draft or trade for, but I'm I'm betting on a bounce back with Anderson. Um, but that brings us, as you said, to our next name. Ahmed Rosario signs one year, $2.5 million with the Rays. And I think this is probably why Anderson signed with Miami. It's double the amount of money. And we know the Rays being fiscally responsible. So I like Rosario with the Rays, especially knowing his versatility on the infield, being able to play in the outfield. This is a really great signing for the Rays. What are your thoughts? I think... The biggest news out of this is not part of the headline at all. I think this is bad news for Junior Caminero. We were speculating he might move over to short or Isaac Paredes might um, play some time there. Unless they move Paredes, I just, I'm starting to feel pessimistic about Junior Caminero and when he's going to come up, but he still could DH, but do the Rays want to do that and hinder him defensively? I don't know. So 
I have Junior Caminero. I'm banking on him being my starting third baseman in one of our dynasty leagues. So I'm going to have to start uh, doing some soul searching in that league. Um, but Ahmed Rosario, I don't think he's worthy of fantasy unless you're in a deeper league. Um, he's going to provide you some speed, a little bit of average, pretty much no power. So nothing too crazy on that. Yeah, I think I think Rosario is a bigger signing for the major league production, the real roster. When we talk fantasy, I think you're right. This is a guy that is going to be kicked up and down waiver wires all season. Um, he's going to be filled for needs and injuries, but he's, in my opinion, not going to be a difference maker. But I think it's a great signing for the major league team. And you're right. I've already started a few weeks ago, starting started to um, implement strategies for my junior Caminero shares as regarding to a starter. I think it is his, in his best interest through development to start the year at AAA. Now it sucks for our fantasy teams. It stuck. It sucks for our dynasty uh, redrafts that we started this year. You know, our, our leagues that were in the first year of inception. But the reality is, he's still very young, and more time seasoned in the minor leagues is going to only benefit him. And I think with the Rays' current circumstance with shortstop and you know the drama that that follows their former superstar shortstop. They really are trying to find pieces that stick at each position and bringing Caminero into that ever-changing lineup, I think, only makes things more difficult. So Rosario will, will really help their ability on a daily basis to manage their lineup and to set out the best lineup possible. And I think it's great. We'll see how you know the, the lineup looks in July. I think that's what I'm more, most curious for. But speaking about July, lineup movement, position movement, our next name is Sal Frelick. News out of spring training is that he is playing a little bit of third. He's playing a little bit of second. You have on here that he is playing third base. Um, what are your thoughts on the movement of Sal Frelick, you know, a plus-plus outfield defender, making his way to the infield for Milwaukee? Yeah, this is going to be interesting depending on who they're going to stick out in the outfield besides Jackson Churio and Garrett Mitchell. They were supposed to be Sal Frelick, so I'm not sure who it's going to be. Maybe they put Yelich back out there, but... This screams to me that maybe we are trying to move Willie Adamas. Um, Joey Ortiz, we thought was going to be playing third, but it sounds like he's going to be playing short. Bryce Terang is a great defender at second. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, you mentioned in previous podcasts that Joey Ortiz is one of the best defenders for shortstops. So maybe a trade's coming down the pipe with Willie Adamas. Maybe there's rumors that we're not aware of if the Brewers – trade Willie Damas in the next week or two, then we'll have our clear-cut answer. But I don't think the Brewers are going out and signing Matt Chapman anytime soon, like I was hoping. So um, that's pretty much all I got on that. Yeah, and I think the South Relic to third base is is something within camp that they're just trying to see if they can have some roster fluidity, as we talked about with Ahmed Rosario. Frelick being a plus defender, I think you know his limitations are on on the offensive side of the ball. And third base obviously is not the type of position you want to slot a guy in that's going to hit 270, 280 with lucky to say the least seven to eight home runs. But I think what this will allow is more versatility. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is the names coming down the pipe from Milwaukee. Tyler Black having a very similar profile to Frelick, you know, being a better defend or a better offensive player though to Frelick's defense. And it's really cutting him out of an opportunity with Milwaukee. You know, Black being a guy that can hit you 15 to 20 home runs, as he's shown in the minors, can can steal bases, even though he doesn't have plus run times. This takes away a lot of that opportunity. So I'm curious what's happening with Milwaukee. I think, as you said, there are moves to be made that we may not be aware of yet. 
obviously we've been talking about the Adamas trade possibility for a number of weeks now. It has to happen for us to start to really see how this lineup is going to shake down. And I'm also curious with this move to third base, if Joey Weimer's new swing is something that the Brewers mm, feel like Joey is going Weimer. to have immense impact. That's who I, I was think, thinking about. Yeah. Yep. I, th I think if you're really thinking about playing uh, Frelick in the infield, you have to believe that Joey Weimer is a starting major league outfielder. And he has shown great seasons in the minor league, and he just didn't translate last year. Again, he's young. I think from a dynasty perspective, Joey Weimer's shares should be skyrocketing in value. I I've been trying to acquire him in all leagues because I've known about the swing change, and I believe that there is more consistency to be had with him cutting down that big leg kick and that big hitch. So we will continue to follow Milwaukee, obviously, as our hometown team and the news that comes out. But that's what we have right now with the South Relic news. Uh, moving on to another free agent that's still available. Blake Snell, as we have mentioned in past weeks, has an offer from the Yankees. Still no contract, still no signing. Anything that you want to add here, Richie, that we haven't touched on? No, there's no news on exactly what the deal is or for how much or for how long. So just threw it in the notes as a speculative noteworthy item to talk about. Uh, I would hate for Blake Snell to go to the New York Yankees just being in that ballpark, that atmosphere, that crowd. I would prefer him to be a San Francisco Giant or Seattle Mariner. He's from the Pacific Northwest, so it makes sense that he would want to go back there. It's just are they willing to pay what the Yankees are paying? So I don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but... I would hate for him to be a Yankee. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you said, and it's interesting to see the average fan. Matt and I spoke on this on our Pitcher Vet podcast, and you know, Matt's take was the Yankees have to sign him. And you know, you and I know the numbers a little bit better. We also know how where players play is a huge factor, right? Yankee Stadium or the San Francisco Giants organization, very different ballparks, very different fans, and very different fits. Snell plays so much better in San Francisco with his numbers, his stat line. And then you look at Yankee Stadium. My fear is that you'd have Carlos Rodon 2.0, you know, a guy that has had success, a guy that you bring in to be a big piece of the organization and just absolutely gets shelled because he's a fly ball pitcher. Now, our biggest knock on Snell is that walk rate with a, a short porch in right field those walks turn into runs. And I think we'd be looking at Snell's ERA three, five, four, if he pitched in Yankee stadium. So I would hate for him to sign with the Yankees, but I do feel like after they missed out on Yamamoto, they're just thinking to themselves, we've got to make another move. I think that move was made. I think it was Stroman. I think you wait till 2025 off season and make another move, but we'll see. I know that Cashman also feels the pressure, but this is the type of signing that can lose you your job. You have Rodon and Snell, and they both underperform. That's fireable. Mm -hmm. And I, th I hope he's putting that into the equation. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, next news, injury. And here it is. Uh, you know, highly touted pitching prospects that continue to get hurt. Ricky Tiedelman is dealing with hamstring and calf tightness. Major concern for a player that we had hopes and expectations to possibly break camp in the major league rotation or at least to have a major league role. What are you hearing on Tiedemann? Yeah, it doesn't sound like anything too crazy, but it will delay him a little bit. Obviously, he won't be pitching um, for a little bit. I don't know the specifics on how long he'll be out. It just doesn't feel good knowing he has an injury track record. We talked about it with Noah Schultz um, last week and another pitching prospect I'm, I'm blanking on, but 
it's just starting to get me worried that he's going to be able to handle a starter's workload until he can prove otherwise. And I'm starting to worry he's going to end up being a closer. Um, we'll see. Yeah, minor inflammation is what I'm seeing. You know, we'll, we'll see. It's something we'll track. He's got great but, stuff, but yeah, if he can't stay yeah, healthy. I mean, he's he's a, at this point with where I feel, um, and I hold shares of him, he's a better, more polished version of DL Hall. You know, and yeah, he, the vibe I'm getting from him, Nate Pearson. That's the vibe I get from Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, I'm not going to go that far. I'm, I'm not. Just I'm, because, just say, I'm not. I'm just saying that's that's what pops in my head when I think Ricky Tiedemann. Yeah, I mean Pearson from the very onset for me with his you know his velocity the the workhorse mentality it always was more um like late stage Noah Syndergaard I just always felt like he was mm-hmm. just destined to blow it out I think Tiedemann still has the opportunity to be a very productive major leaguer I just don't know in what facet that's why I say deal hall yeah, right that's um, fair you know they both have plus plus pitches and they've both had injury concerns it's just that Hall is a few years down the road with development than Tiedemann is, and we've just been stuck in this year and a half now where there's constant injuries. But I, I've not been acquiring Tiedemann. I've been holding with my shares just because I I spent value to acquire him when his stock was higher, so I, I can't sell him. Um, <clears throat> it's a hard case right now. Uh, next news and notes. We have uh, Atlanta Braves news. In competition for the uh, fifth spot in the rotation, is AJ Smith Shaver, Bryce Elder, and Ronaldo Lopez. Lopez is favored to win the job right now. You have on here, and I hope that is the case because I have invested heavily. And it's interesting because it really will allow AJ Smith Shaver to, I think, develop more in the minor leagues if they go that route, or if they stretch him out to a you know a long reliever. I think there's also a lot of value there in the RP role, especially with ratios and, and categories. Um, and Roto as, as well as points because you can be a guy that could sneakily be a top 10 relief pitcher in points just because of those longer um, appearances. Bryce Elder is still my least favorite of those three names. What are your thoughts? I, as long as it's not Bryce Elder, um, he was the, yep. the fifth pitcher for the Braves last year, and he outproduced what I think anybody thought he was going to do. So I would hate to see Bryce Elder. I am intrigued with Reynaldo Lopez. He's been a, a reliever for quite some time. The last time he had a starter's workload was in 2019, and he pitched 184 innings with a 5.38 ERA. Um, so it wasn't good. Um, he did have a decent amount of strikeouts, I believe. I can't find it right now. Computer is loading, but I'm interested to see if he gets back to form. Atlanta is known for producing good pitchers, so maybe they find something in him that they can tweak. Uh, as an AJ Smith Shaver owner now, I am begrudgedly want him to win the job. I don't think he will, just because he has some grooming to do in AAA. Once he went back down, had a little bit of struggle. I think he needs to work on his command confidence a little bit. So. If Lopez wins, I'll be okay with it, but I would love for him to to lose it mid mid season for AJ Smith Shaver as soon as he hopefully shows out in AAA. Yeah, Lopez has not he's not put together numbers that would get you excited. I think it is more the prospects pedigree that he's still holding over. He has performed really, really well out of the bullpen 
And again, that's something to like a lot. When you look back on that 2019 season, he had a 5.38 ERA over 33 games started. So the health was there. His FIP was a 5.04. I think that's a bad indicator as well. It was age 25 season, um, 184 innings. He ended up with 169 strikeouts. That's an 8.3 strikeout per nine. And again, this was a guy coming over from the Nationals with Lucas Giolito that was supposed to have a really good, successful career. We've seen that come more in his opportunities out of the bullpen. Just look back in the 2023 season with Chicago, 43 games pitched, none started. In a 4-2-9 ERA, so that's not a lot to get you excited about. But overall, he had 52 strikeouts and 42 innings, so the K ability was there. Moving over to the LA Angels, had a much better performance. 13 games, a 2-7-7 ERA, 13 innings, 19 strikeouts. And then going on to Cleveland, 12 games, 11 innings, 12 strikeouts with a zero earned run average and a 2.16 FIP. I love the fact that he's coming out of the Cleveland organization. I think there's a lot of opportunity and maybe changes that they could have made very slightly in that short term that could really reinvigorate him as a starter. I think we'll know after camp, though. Um, you know, This spring will be a great test. If he comes out and gets shelled, I think the reality is he is a reliever, and those shares that you have, you just have to hope for holds. You have to hold for opportunity um, in that relief role. You know what's going to happen is because we want Smith, Shaver, and Lopez, Bryce Elder's going to win it. So Get the job. Yeah, yeah. so um, let's bank on that. All right, <laughs> last news and note I have for us for the day is the Brewers brought back Brandon Woodruff on a two-year deal. He is let's likely go. out all of the 2024 season. I love this for Woodruff. I love it for the Brewers. They traded Corbin Burns. Um, you know, he's going to be out. We don't have the pitching face of the franchise with him and Burns presumably being gone just a month ago. Bringing him back to the fold, I think, really allows him time to rehab this injury, make a good 2025 debut, really cement himself then with the consistency of being healthy again and hopefully signing a long-term deal with Milwaukee in the four or five-year um, you know, contract range where he could be the Brewers' ace or number one frontline starter as Milwaukee enters into this next phase of young offensive development, hitting the major leagues, what are your thoughts on Woodruff coming back? I would prefer him come back healthy 2025 and we trade him at the deadline. Hmm. That's what I would prefer. I don't, with okay. his injury history, I don't want the Brewers to sign him long-term. I like a lot of the pitching arms we have down on the farm. So I think we can rebuild our staff and don't throw your money away on somebody who's injury prone and has a history, especially a pitcher. So I would prefer them not to sign him long-term and just for him to produce enough value. And Hey, maybe we're still playoff contenders in 2025 and he can contribute to that. But if not ship him off. All righty. So we are moving on as everyone knows it is breakout sleeper season. We are going to join the fold with that just because this is a great time for us to really talk about the guys that we enjoy and the guys that we may not be looking for to have so much success this season. That will be in just a few weeks here. But first, we want to define exactly what our terms for breakouts and sleepers are. Today, we're talking about breakouts, so I will highlight that first, and then I will touch on sleeper, which, again, we will highlight in a few weeks. Our breakout definition is players who have their absolute best season to date. Now, we would like to define that a little bit more as this season goes on. We would like to put some age requirements and age floors on that. But right now, breakouts are players who will have their best season yet to date. 
So that is how we are going to go about our lists this week and next week. Sleepers are defined as players who will outperform their average draft position and provide value. That one's a little bit easier. That one's a wide range of ages. I think generally when we're speaking on both of these, and correct me if I'm wrong, Richie, usually sleepers are going to be players that have been established or at least have a couple of years of major league experience where they're underperformed or they've lost prospect pedigree, and we think they can provide you that value. Breakouts, I think, are usually guys that we're looking at at the earlier half of their career and are going to take that next step into having more solidified names. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like everything you said there. We've talked off air on how to calculate these definitions, and I agree, sleepers more so, when you think about it, it's like buying the dip. Um, we talk about Aaron Nola, his uh, adverse even years. One year it's going to be a three ERA versus the other is going to be a four five ERA. So you buy him on the four five ERA and sell him on the three ERA. So one year Nola is a bust for us and the other year he's a sleeper. So this year I think he's right in the middle of a sleeper. Um, well, he should have been a sleeper because last year he had a high ERA, but people are starting to catch on. So he's getting drafted as if he's going to be having a three ERA, which if history repeats itself, he will. So, yeah. Well, and you know, that leads right into our, our bust classification, which I think when you talk about a player and attaching the word bust to them, it is in a lot of ways disrespectful, but I want to define it so that it takes away that disrespect because I don't think it is meant to be a disrespectful concept. The word bust has just, you know, attached association with that concept. Busts are players that will not provide value for their current average draft position or have significant injury concerns. I added that injury portion because I think it is really, really important. You know, I think we both discount players that have the injury tag or concern, and I'm okay labeling those players as busts. And then the big piece of that being players that will not provide the value at their current average draft position. So it's just in reality, looking at players that we think are overvalued by the drafting marketplace, not necessarily players that we really dislike. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think for you and I, the biggest piece is the injury for labeling, labeling somebody a bust. I'm taking a hard stance this year on not taking those injury-prone players. I've been burned one too many times with Chris Bryant, Eloy Jimenez, Anthony Rendon. The list goes on and on. It never fails. Never fails. Byron Buxton. I could keep going and going and going, but I will be staying away from those guys as much as I can um, in all drafts. Yeah, same. I um, Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. Okay, let's break into it. We have done this in a tier nature just to make it a little bit easier. We're going to be giving more of a broad overlay on a lot of these players. We do not have a lot of defined data to back up exactly what we're saying just because our list is so deep. We will probably touch on a few of these names in a in a deeper way as the season gets closer or even into the season as we start to talk about how some of these players are living up to our expectations or are not living up to our expectations. The first tier is one individual player. That is George Kirby. Comes in at 18 on Scott White's CBS rankings. I want to preface that we are using uh, Scott White's head-to-head CBS rankings. So Kirby is his 18th ranked player. Richie, you love him a lot. You've got me to love him a lot. We're both owners of him. I am expecting Kirby to enter into SP10 territory this season, 
and really make a push for top five. What are your thoughts on Kirby and your expectations? You know, I love me some George Kirby. Um, loved him since his time in the minors, loved his control, loved his command, loved his stuff. Um, the biggest thing that's going to take Kirby and the biggest knock he gets is his strikeout rate, which was only at like 8% um, or 8, 8K per nine, I should say. 812 K per nine last year, which actually was a dip from his 2022 season where it was a 9.21. But at the end of the year, he developed a uh, splitter, which is the new pitch that everybody wants to get this year. And he didn't throw it that often, but I'm curious if he can um, fine tune it and really have it a secondary, like put away pitch for him. He only threw it 6% of the time, only 169 splitters he threw last year. He primarily throws a four seam. Uh, let's hear a sinker as well. Slider and a curve is his main um, pitch breakdown. So I agree with you, George Kirby. He's got the command. He's got the pitches. Now he's throwing another put away pitch with a splitter. I love to see everything for George Kirby. I'm trying to see what it got as far as a stuff plus goes. George Kirby, his splitter, it's listed as a um 106 on fan graph so that's right above right above average 100s average 110s above average just for listeners who are not aware so it should be an above average pitch for him to use yeah when we think about kirby's profile it really does take a hit with the lack of strikeouts but when you're drafting kirby you're drafting him because of his stability and his floor looking at his overall you know ability level it is the 0.9 walks per nine it's the ultimate control that kirby has and i think with a pitcher like that you're okay taking a hit on strikeouts if you can really watch his development and watch that era continue to drop his 2023 season had a fip of a 3.34 his era was 3.35 so right in line with where his fip was and i think throughout his career we're going to often see that because of his ability to control also playing in the right ballpark Hopefully we'll have a little bit better run production this year around him. That lineup obviously is still developing as a lot of the young minor leaguers that we get excited about continue their development path towards, towards the major leagues. But I do think just from a volume perspective, we could see Kirby climb into that top 10. And I think if he's able to elevate that strikeout per nine rate into the nines, we're going to see him really make a push for top five, at least in points leagues. And again, injury risk is always concerned, but I think Kirby, at least from the profile that we have, is a guy that we can trust to stay healthy and really continue to develop into one of the best floor pitchers in Major League Baseball. That, for me, is enough to get really excited about. Yeah, you know I'm already excited about George Kirby, and having him at value in our Dynasty League just makes it that much more um, glorious for me. What a, what a sweet little cherry on top. <laughs> Um, all right, next we have a tiered list. This is going to be, uh, we're calling it young guns. And I guess you could really call it flamethrowers too, uh, based off a couple of the guys we have on here. So coming in as uh, number 28 for Scott White's rankings is Bobby Miller, 29 right after Grayson Rodriguez and at 30 Tanner Bybee. Clearly, you know, he had thought to himself, these three players were all similar. And I think they're all three very different. Um, those are conversations we can get into in a little bit here, but 40, we have Gavin Williams and 45, we have Hunter green. You have noted that green has added a curveball and a splitter this spring. Why don't you talk a little bit about Hunter green? Um, but then follow that up with 
who would you rather have over the next five seasons? Pick two of these guys for me. Yeah, Hunter Green, primarily known to be a fastball slider guy for the Cincinnati Reds. Seeing that he added a curveball and a splitter in the offseason is very encouraging, knowing that he has a third and fourth pitch now that he can rely on. But it's yet to be seen. Can he control that in spring training games? Can he locate it? Does he leave it middle-middle? Those are all unknowns. But when you hear things like that in the offseason, those are impactful news items that you should actually be paying attention to because that can give you a leg up on the competition if they're not aware of that news. I love that for Hunter Green. I am buying. I'm going to try to acquire him before his his stock rises in drafts. So I definitely like Hunter Green. Um, I know this is technically your breakouts list, but you took all of them. So out of this list, um, I would agree with Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, and Hunter Green as being breakouts. Tanner Bybee is more of a control artist rather than a pure stuff. Um, Gavin Williams struggled a little bit with his control and command. I, I do believe in him, but he's mostly a fastball for right now. So I like them as sleepers and at cost and where they're going but I don't know if this is going to be their breakout season, if that makes sense. I give it another year or two for both of them. If, um, But going back to your question, if I could only pick two from this, I, I think I have to go with Bobby Miller and Grayson Rodriguez. The, the prospect pedigree, the stuff that they have, the control is there. Bobby Miller is the industry darling. He pops on all of the stuff plus metrics that everybody's raving about. Bobby Miller has 130 fastball, 153 slider. So like when we're talking about stuff plus like a hundreds average, 110 is above 120, 130, you're, you're getting elite. So when you get to like 150, you're talking about like almost the best in the game. So he's got one of the best sliders, his uh, sinker 108 cutter or curveball, I should say 115 and a change of 105. He's got five average or above average pitches with two of them being elite with his fastball and slider. The strikeouts will come from him. No doubt about it. He just needs to adjust to MLBs and how to attack and come up with a game plan. So hopefully Will Smith can do a little bit pitch um, calling for him so he can truly exceed. So yeah, to answer your question, picking two out of the five going Bobby Miller and Grayson Rodriguez. I love that. Now, if you could pick one for the 2024 season to provide you draft value based off selection, which all these guys are kind of going in the same round, right? Roster construction is really important, but I want you to pick one for the 2024 season to really change the way that your um, rotation setup looks. I'm going Bobby Miller. I think Bobby okay. Miller becomes a top 10, top 15 player this year or top pitcher I should say so Bobby Miller hands down Hunter Green is going to be a value with where he's going at Bobby Miller at 28 Hunter Green at 45 but I still want Bobby Miller he's going to be in my um, categories league that I have that you're going to help me draft even though you work <laughs> he's going to be a target as my number two or three starting pitcher I'm going to try to get him I love that now I agree with everything you said. I think the one name on this list that could elevate themselves to, I'd say, best in the game status for me is Hunter Green, but he has to get that third pitch. And that third pitch has to be plus. It can't just be an, an, you know, a throwaway pitch. It can't be just something to change the, the eye level of the batter. It has to be the splitter for me as well. If he can put together a plus splitter, maybe a 120 splitter, which I know is kind of crazy. I think he can do it. 
you're talking about a guy that I think could elevate himself to top five in the game. Now, there's another piece to this. His durability and his outings have to extend as well. So while all, all of these guys are talented players, I think Green has an opportunity this year to make that jump. Miller also, but Green, again, is a little bit longer in his development uh, track. Miller already has the pitches. That's the only thing working against Green is Green's got to develop them. But you know, number two overall in the uh, draft pick, this is a guy that has the pedigree. We just really need to see it all play out for him. And I, I am hoping for a Hunter Green breakout in a lot of ways. But I would agree with you if I'm choosing two, it's Miller and Rodriguez. Moving on, we have our next tier. These are some names that we've been excited about through the years, but I think they have all kind of fallen into the same bag. Coming in at 51 is Hunter Brown, 53, Andrew Abbott, and 54, Kyle Harrison. So steering away from Dynasty here, Richie, I want you to pick one of these three names for the 2024 season. One name for the 2024 season. I think I got to go Kyle Harrison. I believe in his stuff more than the other two. Hunter Brown, he had a great start. I thought he was going to be an ace. And as soon as I traded him to you, he fell, fell off. So I'm sorry for that. Andrew Abbott, you and I truly never really believed in him. It, it almost seemed like a mirage and he was just outperforming what the underlying numbers were saying. Kyle Harrison, known to have a big fastball, known to have control issues, but once he came up to the majors, he got that under control and looked to be legit. So hopefully that sticks and continues into the season. So I think the highest ceiling is Kyle Harrison, and out of this group, he's the one I'd be targeting. Love that. Love that. Okay. Next, we have a little interactive moment. So you were kind enough to go on our Twitter right before we started recording tonight and asked general question, what people would like to hear. And we got a comment back talking about or asking about us having a conversation regarding Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, both of the Seattle Mariners. So we're going to break these guys down a little bit deeper than we have other players. I'm going to allow you to do that since you've pulled up all these wonderful numbers. But go ahead and kick us off and kind of direct this little segment the way you'd like. Yeah, so first, Brian Wu is listed as 59 on Scott White's rankings. Bryce Miller listed as 65. So I don't know if that's where they're going on average draft position based on which platform you're playing on. If we're looking at these two in a vacuum, I'm taking Bryce Miller over Brian Wu. Bryce Miller, a lot of offseason stuff has been going on for him. He's developed a new splitter. I don't have the calculations here, but somebody listed that it would be like top five in horizontal movement and vertical break, which would put it as far as stuff plus goes near the top as an elite uh, splitter. So that is something to note. And I'm curious to see if that plays as soon as we can get that stat cast data in spring training or in the beginning of the season. Bryce Miller, mostly known for having that big fastball and that big sweeper that has like the best vertical or horizontal break. But the issue was people were laying off the sweeper because of the arm slot, the biggest difference behind JP Sears, I believe. So Bryce Miller's also been aligning his arm slot. So I love to see that he's going to have three above average pitchers with his fastball splitter and a sweeper. And the overall numbers last year for Bryce Miller weren't the greatest, ended with a 4.32 ERA over 131 innings. But I wanted to look from June 12th to September 16th is pretty much until the end of the year, except for you take out the last two games, which happen to be against the Texas Rangers and Houston Astros. 
because if you're in a daily format, you're not starting him against those two teams that were pushing for the playoffs. Bryce Miller went 84 and two-thirds innings, 80 strikeouts, 19 walks, and had a 3-6-1 ERA. I'm expecting him to improve even better than that, and I think I think he could be top 25, top 30 easily if he can command that splitter. Now we look at Brian Wu. I think he's also going to break out. Love what he did last year. If you take out his first game and his last two games, all of which were against the Texas Rangers, I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but Brian Wu surprisingly got called up to pitch against the Rangers. He looked shell-shocked, got blown up. We take out those three starts. He went 78 and two-thirds innings, 78 strikeouts, only 25 walks, a 3-3-2 ERA, and a 3.94 FIP to back it up. Stuff Plus has great measures or great numbers. Fastball sits at 101, cutter at 103, a sinker 109. He's got a curveball that's above average at 126 as far as Stuff Plus goes, and a changeup that could use some developing at 84, so a little below average. Um so he's got a little bit less stuff compared to to Bryce Miller. You look at the fastball 101 compared to Bryce Miller. It's 121. I, I like him to break out, but if I had to take one or the other, I'm going Bryce Miller. I know that was a, a handful to throw at you, Matt, but what are your thoughts on, no, on these two? Every Everything you said and you broke down is exactly why I agree with you and why I feel like Miller is over Wu. And, you know, in context here, if you've listened to us for a while – you know, that there is a certain part of scouting that I still believe to be true when it comes to the eye test. And it actually just comes to that intuition and that feeling. And for me, that is pushing me absolutely in the direction of Miller. Your statistics back that up. When I really look at who I would rather have, and then I look at the performance that I saw in the field last year, it's Bryce Miller because of the fastball. That 121 stuff plus great on the fastball gives him the opportunity to develop off-speed pitches to make mechanical changes like the arm slot and really be the best pitcher of the two. And when you look at Brian Wu, that fastball stuff plus of 101 sitting almost directly at average, he is always going to have to be sharper and more dominant with his command than Bryce Miller is because he just doesn't have that put away velocity. I think it's nice that he has a 126 curveball with stuff plus, but if you don't have the fastball, you've really got to set up the pitch count perfectly to be able to deliver that curveball. And if I'm hitters, I am sitting on his fastball. I am waiting for that one pitch in my at-bat where I get it and I'm going to swing at it. So from that perspective, I think Bryce Miller has the ability to be a top 30 pitcher year over year. Where Brian Wu, I think, has the opportunity to develop into more of a Tanner Bybee, uh, more of a, a floor pitcher. That has a lot of value in fantasy, has a lot of value in dynasty because you can continue to sit on this guy and know that he's going to give you good ratios. But in regards to giving you high outcome um, production, I, I just see it lining more with Miller. And Miller is, in my opinion, more enjoyable to watch. I have a new philosophy I'm going with as far as pitchers go. We have all this uh, statistics that we can relate to, all these advanced metrics with shape and movement. I'm going to be focusing on pitchers that have a great fastball and can develop secondary pitches because you're hearing about all these pitchers tinkering, tweeting, going to tread athletics or driveline baseball, working on adding velocity, getting the most out of everything they can. But if you don't have a great fastball from the jump, you're not going to go well. I mean, the fastball is the most, like the most thrown pitch that you're going to have in your arsenal. Like, 
most pitches are thrown at 40 to 60% of the time. So I think I'm going to be starting to do that. Bryce Miller is going to be the first um, test subject for me. Um, the only one that I can think of that defied that was Kyle Bradish last year. Doesn't have a great fastball, but had, I think, the best slider um, by Stuff Plus, and he just started to throw that more. I think he threw his slider as much of his fastball. So um, just a little side note on that. Well, and I think, you know, you bringing that up is is really important because let's just take a quick look at the number one SPs. We'll use Scott White's as our example here and kind of calculate based off the fastball. Strider coming in at number one, obviously plus fastball. Cole, two, plus fastball. Corbin Burns, whether you want to classify it as the cutter or the fastball, he's plus. Gosman. Honestly, don't know enough data on Gosman. I know his secondary stuff is pretty he's electric. He's known for his splitter. He's got the best splitter yep. in the game. Yep. So he's got a plus splitter, right? Zach Wheeler, plus fastball. Luis Castillo, plus fastball. Zach Gallen, crafty, right? So, you know, he's another outlier. Yamamoto, crafty. Obviously, we have no major league data on him. Uh, Pablo Lopez, I think, plus fastball, right? Yeah. Pa uh, Pablo Lopez has a, a few above average. I'm trying to sort by okay, so well, I don't want to spoil my my one of my breakouts. No, go for it. Um, so Spencer Strider, according to Fangraphs, has the best fastball by Stuff Plus at 141. Can you guess who number two is? Number three is Bobby Miller at 130, which a reason why he's a breakout for me. Number four, Tyler Glass now at 128. Number five, Hunter Green at 127. Number two and number six are on my breakout list. Can All right, so I would guess are? number two is Yuri Perez. No. Same okay. team, though. Uh, no, no, not the same team. All right, I'm going to give it one more guess because I'm scrolling on the rankings here, and it's taking me all the way down. Um, tell me because I, I can't come up with a name. Number two is Taj Bradley. Ah, very nice. He comes in okay. with 131, and number six is Nick Pavetta at 125. Well, Nick Pavetta is technically a tie with Garrett Cole and Dylan Cease for best fastball. Okay. Well, and, and those numbers are important because Bryce I think they Miller, play right into what you said. Bryce Miller comes in at number 10 with a 121, which we just okay. talked about. Is there anyone within the top 20 that you would classify as just an outright bad pitcher? Um, well, it kind of falls off. So, like, once you get to 20, like, the number 20 fastball is 111. So, like, it's it's hard to justify because you know I said one hundred is average. It's just above average. One yeah. one eleven, like one ten. We're talking about above average. So like, um, number twenty is Cutter Crawford. Nineteen Mackenzie Gore. Eighteen Luis Medina. But like, they don't like for Mackenzie Gore and Luis Medina. They have trash command. Like they don't know where their pitches are going. Carter Crawford is somebody who you like a lot and is on your breakout list. So. He has good command. He just hasn't had the shot yet. So Michael Kopech well, has a great fastball, but doesn't yep. know where it's going. Um, yeah, It's an interesting tier because you're right. All four of those, you could talk yourself into drafting because you could see them figuring it out or having moments where they have, you know, dominated. I think of Gore's performance against the Royals last year, which was a fantastic outing, but it was against the Royals. Kopech has had flashes, right? Medina has not yet had that breakout moment, but you know, there is opportunity there. And it's interesting to see what part of this 
list and this tier is really the guys that have it and will never figure it out. We will have to track that over years. I did. I did. Uh, I do have a filter for at least a hundred innings pitch last year, just to get rid of all the relievers. So we could focus on starting pitchers. Um, let me see if I can toy around with this and see if I can stupid ads. Well, let's, let's let's move on. Let's save it for next week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Next tier. We get into some of the names that are less exciting, but I still think provide value. Next on the list is Reese Olsen for the Detroit Tigers and coming in at 66, Ray Detmers, Olsen was 64. Ray Detmers is a guy you've liked for a number of years. You've been burned for a number (laughs) of years, but kind of into that conversation, we have seen the flashes, including a no hitter from Detmers. So out of these two players, if you're looking to roster one for the next three seasons in Dynasty, who are you taking? Next three seasons? I'm going Reed three Detmers. Seasons. Reed Detmers. Okay. Give me Reed Detmers. Um, because as soon as I give up on him is when he's going to break out. <laughs> <laughs> give me some data. Uh, no, I, I like Reed Detmers a lot. Um, people forget this time last year, Reed Detmers was slotted to be, I think he was like, the top five breakout on similar planes as a Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez is this year. And it was because he was developing that hard slider that added like, I want to say five to seven miles per hour. The issue with the Reed Detmers is he doesn't know how fast it's going to come out. He doesn't know if it's going to come out at 88, 90. So depending on how fast it's coming out, it's going to mess with his control. And we saw that with the numbers, his overall, I don't know if I have his, yeah, his overall numbers went 148 and two thirds innings with a four, four, eight ERA with a one, three, five whip. So that's bad. 60 walks to 168 strikeouts. So the, the strikeouts were there with that pitch. Um, but what I liked was at the end of the year, his last seven starts from August 16th on 41 and 41 innings pitch, 37 strikeouts, 16 walks. So still kind of high, but a two, four, one ERA. And if we shrink that down to even the last four starts, pretty much all of September, he went 24 and two-thirds innings, 26 strikeouts, seven walks, so still kind of high, but a 1.82 ERA. So I think he started to figure something out at the end of the year. Chalk that up to the Angels were out, Otani was leaving, maybe there was less pressure on him. I think that also plays a role into this year. You know, Reed Detmers, not only is he going to get more starts because he's not in a six-man rotation, but there's less pressure on the the Angels to do everything they can with Otani's last year. So I think there's a little less pressure on him. Um, if we look at his grades, that slider that he was developing came in at a 124 stuff plus. And his other pitches are not the greatest. So fastball 87, curve at a 93, and a change at 92. So his curve and change are average or just below average. His fastball is not the greatest. So this is kind of contradicting what I just said of I want to target players with great fastballs, but you know, maybe Reed Detmers can be the exception like Kyle Bradish with having a great slider. And I'm going to give Reed Detmers one more year. Um, yeah, you can't quit Reed Detmers. Well, it's interesting. You bring up the end of season numbers and that's why I wanted to pair these two together. You look at Reese Olson, his September, October five total games started 31 and one third innings pitched with a ERA of 1.44, 25 strikeouts in those 31 and a third innings. Both had phenomenal finishes to their season, and I think that has kind of added to the hype that we're seeing 
for both of these players as we get into, you know, spring training now. The difference, I think, is Olsen and his ultimate availability in that very crowded, um, very crowded rotation for Detroit, as opposed to Detmers has been solidified as having a role in Anaheim. I both, I'm curious by both of these players. I think what's ultimately going to happen is Olsen's probably going to fall in line more with the Brian Wu, Tanner Bybee, you know, higher floor, give you consistency, where Detmers being more volatile, having those, you know, massive performances followed by those massive blowups. It's really a question of what do you want to buy into at the end of your draft? I think personally, Reese Olsen's a guy that I would have um, queued up just because I'm looking for more of that floor depth as opposed to Detmers, where if I've got a pretty safe rotation, I might be more inclined to draft Detmers, hoping that I can finally get a guy that puts it together. I think the final note for me with Reed Detmers is just the age. We've talked about this a lot. Lefties take a little bit longer, in our opinion, to develop. Detmers, as it stands right now, is still only 24 years old. will turn 25 in July. This is a guy to continue to monitor because we both do expect the breakout to happen eventually, that consistency to come. And I think the ceiling is much, much higher with Detmers than Olsen. Yeah. Did you know that Reese Olsen was drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in 2018 in the 13th round? 18th round. I did not know that. Uh, Baseball reference has it as the 13th round. Um, So, yeah, now I got to switch to Reese Olsen because he's a former Brewer. Um, (laughs) No. They are very close. I will say that. I'm going to stick with Reed Detmers, though, just for – he was a first – I think he was a first-round draft pick. I don't have that up. Yep. But uh, he he comes with the pedigree, too. He was rushed to the majors. I think, like, the, the next year after he was drafted, he came to the majors, which is one of the reasons why I liked him. But now I'm realizing the Angels just do that with all their first-round draft picks, so it's not really like – um. Like, you were all that great. They did it with Zach Neto. They did it with Nolan Chenal. So, like, I don't know. They're just picking players who are as close to MLB ready as they can. So, I don't know. Take that with a Well, and I think salt. a lot of that strategy was we need to give Otani help. We need well, to give Otani signed, help. They should have signed free agents and built yeah. a farm system. But, well, hey, you know, they don't get the juice. It will, it will be interesting to see if they, uh, very nice. It will be interesting to see if they change their approach now that Otani's gone, really start to go with more of a balanced approach within high school and college arms, high school and college bats, and really start to develop these players now that they know that their window is, has completely changed and they're, they're in more of a rebuilding stage as much as they want to continue to lie to themselves with the large contracts of Rendon and Trout still on the team. But Next here, we have two more for you before we wrap the show. And, and this next one's a little fun. Uh, we have Brandon Fott coming in at number 70. Big playoff production, terrible regular season production. And then at 82, we have Taj Bradley. You talked about him having the number two overall fastball for stuff plus at 131. And then wrapping it up in this tier is Brian Bello. Very, very different profile to the Fott and Bradley um, pairing there. So I think the question, Richie, really comes down to, you know, again, we'll push this out. Five years within Dynasty, you're rostering one of these players over a five-year window. I think I know your answer, but who are you choosing between Fott, Bradley, and Bellow? You know I'm taking Taj Bradley all day. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's got the location. He's got the the one of the greatest fastballs. He, I think he didn't have the greatest season because of that mental aspect. He... 
got called up early in the season, had great outings, and then gets sent back down, I think, to work on a cutter because the Rays didn't believe that his curveball could sustain the whiff rates that it was. Um, You look at the stuff plus, it's 88 for his curve. It comes in at a 45 grade by MLB pipeline. So, I mean, everybody in the industry knew that that curve couldn't sustain, and everybody was trying to sit on the fastball, and they were getting blown away with the curveball just dropping out below. So the cutter comes in as above average at 106, and he's also got a change he can throw in there at a 74. I think this is a player who can develop that curve and that change and make it better than what it is. I mean, if he could go back down, work on his cutter to add some velo to it and come back up and still um, perform at the MLB level, I think a full offseason preparing to be in the MLB, being in the rotation, I think I think it's going to be great for him, and this is the year Taj Bradley breaks out. I will be trying to acquire him as much as I can. I think I have him in one of our two dynasty leagues. I don't know if I have him in both, though. So we're going to differ here. I am going to choose Brandon Fott. I think both options are interesting in their own right. You look at Brad, uh, Taj Bradley, he has the best pitch of the two, and we talked about fastball, right? Like, Taj has got it. My concern is that everything else he has is either average or below average. Now, I agree with you. I think development can come, and I think he will be a fantastic test for the comments you made earlier in in regards to how you're starting to evaluate pitchers and what you're looking for being the fastball one and then allowing development to come. Having five total pitches is a real, or having four total pitches as it currently stands is a huge benefit to him but he's going to have to develop at least two of those pitches so that he can continue the, the strikeout numbers that he had in 2023. And the ERA, we saw fluctuation. We, we saw fluctuation in his consistency last year. 2024 is going to be a really big year. And I'm also very curious for 2024 and Taj Bradley, if he can cement himself within this rotation throughout the entirety of the season. We look at his overall numbers from last year, just the major leagues, 104 total innings pitched. It's a good amount. I think we could, you know, expectations looking at him for 2024, seeing 140, 150, because overall he had 23 games at the major league level, but he also had 10 games at AAA. So combining both of those innings, he was already at over 140. I'll change it to 160, 170. That's a guy that you can lock into a rotation spot. And in my opinion, has a year ahead of Brandon Fott in overall development. Fott's numbers in 2023, 96 total innings, but a lot of that was also volatile until we hit the postseason. But I'm choosing Fott just because I enjoy the fact that he was given the chance in the postseason to be the guy, to continue the team's success within uh, playoff series and allowing himself to you know, change his overall mechanics, moving around in the rubber, I think was the big indicator and in a lot of talk why he had success in the postseason. But for me, Brandon Fott organizationally will be given the chance to be the future ace once Gallon leaves. And I think Bradley is going to continue to have issues because the Rays, they just like analytics too much. But I don't think there's a wrong answer here. No, I, I do like Brandon Fott to, to clarify. I just like Taj Bradley a little bit more. I just wanted to throw out some numbers. Uh, you did a great job recapping, but Brandon Fott has that above average. Slider comes in at 118 stuff plus, a below average fast and sinker uh, at 97 each. He's got a curveball that comes in at 106 and a change at 90. So 
Um, he's got a good repertoire, two above average pitches. Um, both are off speed. I think honestly it comes down to the new philosophy of I want a pitcher who's got that great fastball and then work on the secondaries after. And that's, that's, that's the deciding factor. The only thing I'll say on Brian Bellow is yet to be seen, but there's some talk that he worked on improving his slider with the famous Pedro Martinez in the off season. So I'll be watching spring training to see what that looks like. And if there's any data on what that looks like compared to the other sliders across the league. Yeah, I feel bad for Bello because he was the one, obviously, that didn't get any runtime in this conversation. I love Brian Bello, but again, he falls in line with this the higher floor. Doesn't really give me too much excitement for an explosive breakout, a guy that can enter into the top 10 category. Um, I, I think Bradley and Brandon Fott have the ability to be aces. I think Bello has the ability to be a really, really nice major league number two. And those, again, they have value. And I talk over five years here, do you, you, you could draft Bradley or you could draft Brandon Fott and they could end up being relievers where I think Bellow is guaranteed to be a starter over the next five years, barring injury. But they, again, I'm looking for the higher ceiling players. <clears throat> now, I do think, again, it comes into roster construction, but <clears throat> excuse me, that brings us into our next and final tier. Um, you know, Bellow being safer, these next three names have a lot of volatility with them. And I'm looking for just a 2024 rostered answer here from you, Richie. Coming in at 96 is Mackenzie Gore. Coming in at 103 is Ricky Tiedemann. And coming in at 121 is Jordan Wicks. Again, three very different profiles. If you could pick one for 2024, who are you rostering? Well, I guess you could guess this based on our prior conversation in this podcast. And I'm going with Mackenzie Gore. He's got the fastball. His secondaries aren't the greatest and his control is not the greatest. But all he needs is to have one of those click for him, for him to instantly jump up the boards. Ricky Tiedemann, you already know my concerns with him. Um, we just talked about earlier with his... Injury concerns, I think he has the great stuff. Just how long will that sustain? Jordan Wicks, I think, is more of a control guy. Doesn't have as much of the pedigree as far as the stuff goes compared to the other two. So I think Mackenzie Gore and Ricky Tiedemann on stuff alone make Jordan Wicks fall lower. And I would almost argue he is in a different tier lower than these two. But I think I'm going Mackenzie Gore. Um, yeah. I like him a lot, as I know you do too. So I'm curious if you're going Tiedemann or Gore or Jordan Wicks. Yeah, no, we're in agreement here. Wicks is in this, uh, this conversation because I think he has a safer floor. You know, we've talked about the Bellows. We, we've talked about a number of other players today, the Tanner Bybees, that provide that floor for you. I think Wicks' career is going to ultimately shape up to be a fringe top 40 pitcher, a fringe top 40 starter, but a guy that always sits around there. Where I will continue to believe in Mackenzie Gore is being a guy that can have a season where he provides top 10 SP fantasy upside because he has the ability to accumulate those strikeouts. Consistency has been an issue. Health has been an issue up until the last couple of years. But I've seen games for Mackenzie Gore that absolutely show the ability for him to be dominant. Now, Ricky Tiedemann's a great name, but we haven't seen it at the major league level yet. And Tiedemann could very well fall into Mackenzie Gore, uh, like arc line here, but the health is a concern. I'm choosing Mackenzie Gore. It's not really close. I think secondly, I am actually choo choosing Wicks for the 2024 season. 
just because of the health concerns I have with Tiedemann. So Tiedemann falls to three, and I would argue undraftable for me in redraft leagues just because Wicks is not even close to the arm ability that uh, Tiedemann has, and it's just gotten to the point where I'm so concerned with this recent news of inflammation. My only concern with Wicks is the Cubs might not be done spending. They might go and get Mm. Jordan Montgomery. They might go and get Blake Snell. Hell, they might even go and get both of them because they didn't do much besides Imanaga and Bellinger. So that could ruin the chance for Jordan Wicks being in the rotation. Um, But yeah, other than that, I agree with what you were saying. And while you were talking, I was able to toy around with the Fangraphs Stuff Plus, and I was able to select the Fastballs um, Stuff Plus. If you were only a starting pitcher and I used 20 innings as a threshold, and it doesn't change too much, but we did get some interesting names. Jacob deGrom has the best fastball at 155 compared to Strider, who had a 141. So it's just crazy. Um, our new number three is Mason Miller at 135. Taj drops down to, to number four. Um, then behind him is Drew Rasmussen with the 131. Then we had Bobby Miller and Tyler Glassnow, like I spoke before. And then number eight is Yuri Perez with a 128 fastball. So he didn't make the cut last last time I had these filters because he only had 91 and one-thirds innings yep. pitched. So honestly, maybe this is a good time to talk about Yuri because he was uh, on my list of breakouts that I would have tiered in the Bobby Miller and Grayson Rodriguez. And we look at his stuff. Plus, I just mentioned a 128 fastball, slider 101, uh, curveball 91, and a change 86. So he's got two above average pitches, um, but does come with the pedigree. I still think I'm taking Bobby Miller and Grayson Rodriguez over Yuri Perez just because of the innings concerns. And Bobby Miller just has phenomenal stuff. But I do think Yuri Perez is breaking out this year. That leads us to my last question of the day before we wrap up. Are there any players that we did not talk about in regards to breakouts that you would like to highlight next week and give us a little bit of a preview on, or are we Mm -hmm. good as a collective to move on to sleepers? Um, Sleepers for next week, you're saying? Oh, no, I'm more Uh asking, do you have more breakouts? Would you like to construct a list for the listener going into next week? Or do you feel as though we touched on the majority of the names? Right. Uh, Oh, well, are we taking the age thing out of this? Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah, we'll save them for sleepers then. Um, Okay. But yeah, no, we we foreshadowing uh, Nick Pavetta. Yes. Nick Pavetta and Eric Fetty. Um, but, uh, yep, that's all of them. I'm going through the list um, now and I don't see any that are sticking out unless you want to talk about Cutter Crawford. I know he's a guy you like. We know I, I went down on these lists and I basically jotted down anyone that was, was notable. And, you know, we obviously shared and cross referenced there. There's of course value at the end of any rankings list. I think at the end of the day, we will probably dive into those um, those small tiers that we have as we get you know very, very close to the major league season because I think the reality is a lot of those guys will be on waiver wires. And you know those guys will be the ones that I think you should queue up right off the bat so that you know as the season starts and you incur injuries, you can start picking those guys up. But at least for redrafts, I, I don't expect anybody to be out there drafting um, you know, Cutter Crawford or a couple of the other names that we mentioned. 
But um, all right, that wraps us for today. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We will be breaking down our list of sleepers next week. And as we get a little bit closer to you know opening day, we will have our news and notes. And I'm sure as the weeks continue to pile up, we will have a plethora of you know rising injuries. Hopefully, we have some signings next week and a little bit more clarity as a couple of these organizations try and figure out who will be starting. But again, thank you. We will catch you next week. Thank you.